so welcome to episode 24 of the Das and Daz NBA podcast, and I'm joined by uh, Darren Hill. Uh, Darren, uh, sponsored by Urban Dictionary. How are you, Darren? <laughs> PFG, pretty fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that that uh, there apparently there was an Urban Dictionary uh, reference last uh, last pod that slipped under my radar, but uh, some of our listeners. Picked it up Uh-oh. and uh, didn't didn't quite uh, get past them, but uh, they're not they're not the sort that are easily offended. So that's good good to know. That's good to know. Well, I hope to hope to deliver another one. Yeah, or, that's or probably, I'm sure you've got a couple up your sleeve. Um, so we were sort of talking. We had we had a pod all lined up ready to go, uh, and some subjects sort of late last week, and then of course as the NBA does over the weekend, they broke another major news story, uh, this time involving the Cleveland Cavaliers, who never seem to be far away from the news, which is natural, given that they are one of the top contenders for the title each year. And the thing was, uh, Kyrie Irving putting in a trade request, uh, apparently. Now, there's a number of different versions to why this happened. I mean, I've got my own sort of theories really between the lines. I'm not sure if I believe the official story, but... He's basically handed in a trade request. Uh, he's listed the San Antonio Spurs, Minnesota Timberwolves, New York Knicks, and who was the fourth team? Miami. And Miami Heat as his preferred destinations. Uh, make of that what you will. But look, I'll, I just want your initial thought, thoughts, I guess, as as to what, uh, yeah, how you sort of reacted, I guess, to the news, what you think will, and what you think may happen for him. I say, I didn't know what was going to happen with Kyrie, but right, pretty much ever since the ball and since the last, you know, piece of confetti was picked up the parade and out in Golden State and in Oakland and San Francisco, right, I labeled this team as Deadpool, right, with everything that's been happening with Gilbert and Griffin, and LeBron's silence and the, you know, um, sort of nonchalant stroke. You know, non non-existence of free agent movements while the other teams got better. Like it just felt right. I labeled it Deadpool. Like this is there's pressure building, and something's got to give. Something has to give. And knowing right, knowing LeBron and the state of his contract, which is these you know these one one year left on his deal, knowing him and Dan Gilbert, the two irresistible forces of nature, something was going to give. So this is absolutely. I'm probably the least surprised person on the planet. Like, yep, makes total sense. Something had to give. This wasn't a championship-caliber roster as constructed. LeBron's not going to accept that. And so Kyrie um, Kyrie started conversations getting out in front of it. So I, I can completely see it from Kyrie's perspective. It, it, it's, um, it makes a lot of sense from a lot of different angles. So I guess the, the simple questions are the why. You know, why is Kyrie doing this? And I think, you know, pretty much, you know, Windhorst and everyone um, has sort of given either hints at it or, you know, from their, quote, sources about, you know, he's he wants to be a bit of its a bit of its ego, right? He wants to be treated like John Wall or, or Dame Lillard. He wants to be treated like the guy, you know, LeBron is, is, is and always will be the guy. Um, he's kind of tired of being, maybe tired of being second wheel and sees the you know, what Russ and James Harden can do when you let them loose and put the ball in their hands and let their usage go crazy, it'd be hard not to. 
as a Kyrie Irving who fancies himself a, you know, uh, not just fancies himself, but he's, you know, he's a borderline, you know, top 10, top 20 sort of player, probably top 15. No, says, I disagree there. I said he fancies himself. He fancies oh, himself. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I'll yeah. so put that caveat. He, he, I would never vote him third-team NBA. You know, he's not all NBA, but he fancies himself, right? So I think there's a bit of that, seeing what Russ and Harden have done. Oh, look, he, there's no question, right, that the he's won. You know, he won a title, won it with LeBron, um, and probably silenced a lot of doubters, myself included, and probably Cavs fans included with the uh, – you know, with his performance, the infamous, famous, you know, can never remove from the history books performance, you know, in in game seven, um, you know, the other last year, the year before. Mm. And he sees the direction of the NBA. He sees where this is going. This is, you know, friends playing with friends and he's mates with Jimmy Butler. And, you know, this is the NBA direction with all these players taking, you know, massive, uh, massive dollars and short term contracts to try and keep themselves to truly be free agents, as free as they've perhaps ever been, right? Um, and so, and so that's so for me. The why was very, very easy. There's nothing, nothing surprising about it at all. Well, I'll just so, come in um, there. I mean, yeah. in terms, of, my, I, I think you're spot on with the the second ball. I don't think it's as much about him wanting to be the alpha dog as it is him wanting to be the primary ball handler to, and really show, okay, this I can now show what I've got. Um, night yeah. to night. And he's no doubt aware of the narrative out there that he's as good as he is because he plays next to LeBron James. And if you yeah. put Kemba Walker in his role, would Kemba Walker be just as good, if not better? Would he be a bit worse? Where does he sort of rank um, as an as a out-and-out point guard? And I think that's the interesting question that I guess he's maybe looking at and saying, you know what, if I can be the primary ball handler, in one of these other areas. And, I mean, if you go to New York, that is his team. Uh, if he goes to the Spurs, it's probably still Kawhi's team, but he's now the primary ball handler within that team, so he can sort of showcase his skills in a different way that he doesn't get to with LeBron there. Um, but I sort of think, look at it and think, well, be careful what you wish for, because I think LeBron's made him look a lot better than he probably is. Uh, and I understand where he's coming from, but... If you're looking at him in a vacuum, you know, where does he rank in terms of the point guards in the NBA? Because this is a very, very strong position now in the NBA. And I was thinking about today. I mean, let me throw some names at you. And you tell me where, when I get to a point that you think, okay, Kyrie's better than this guy. So Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, no. Steph no. Curry, John Wall, no. uh, Dame Lillard. No. Close. You close a little. I'll take I'll take Dane ahead yeah, of you. Okay. Right. Uh, then you're probably getting into the Kemba Walkers, of, and that's where I, I think that's where he sits. I'd put him a little bit ahead of Kemba at this stage. Um, the, uh, am I missing anyone? Was I missing any top point guards? I mean, Tony Parker's injured. That's the only reason I didn't mention Tony. <laughs> I thought you mentioned Harden, but did you mention? Oh, Harden? Harden, well, I, I don't. Yeah. I guess Harden nominally. A shooting yeah, guard, but as, as I touched on last week, yeah, a ball handler. I mean, if you're talking about point guard, well, certainly James Harden would hit as well. Look, I, I think you maybe it's just mincing words, but it's um, I, uh, I think what we've I don't know if the narrative is that he's successful because of LeBron, but there's no question LeBron 
covers up a lot of weaknesses of players. LeBron enhances his game, exactly. LeBron takes him uh, from Kemba Walker to better than Dame Lillard. You know what I mean? But in a vacuum, I don't think he's better than Dame Lillard, if that makes sense. Well, I don't know if I really believe this, but if I looked at just an isolated the last season, I could probably build a really strong argument. If you put Isaiah Thomas on Cleveland, they actually might be better. Well, similar similar games in terms of what Kyrie did, and Isaiah does it better. So yeah. in terms of if you just want to score him. That's it. Because he's not distributed. But, yeah, but, he, but you're with me, right? I mean, I think the why is pretty clear, right? There's the bit you right, wants to handle the ball, and it's, uh, you know, he wants a bit of the star treatment, the way John Wall, you know, got the carpet rolled out for him, and, and Dame, and, um, you know, he just wants to, he wants to feel that, and it's not... Is not difficult. It's the you know it's the most obvious storyline of of what happened this year, and we called it the, the day it happened. But as soon as KD left, we sort of like right race Russell Westbrook to the top of your fantasy draft. He's going to be in the MVP conversation mm. as the highest predictable thing. So I think Kyrie probably saying, "Look, I'm 25. LeBron's probably God. Look what this fucking Gilbert's doing to this team." And he goes, "You know, LeBron ain't going to stick around." And so that's part of the calculus, no doubt. But I think it's only part of it. He's saying, "Gosh, I actually might be an MVP if I were on my own." That's his language to himself, right? Yeah. So um, it makes sense. It, ma- it makes total sense. Now, the interesting questions will be the now the where and or the when, right? Mm. Which is another dialogue: is does it happen now? Does it happen before the season? Might the new whatever? Who's the GM? Cody Altman? Is that a made-up name? Is that the, am I making this up? No, Who's I the, think that was the, that, that rings a bell. Cody Altman, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, Gilbert and his new little the GM, you know, what will they? God, will they actually hold on to him? Could you possibly go into the season with this? What do you think? Could you possibly enter the season? Well, it depends what the it yeah. depends what the market is um, for him, and I mean. Mm. Uh, and, and are they just dealing with the terms that he's listed? Are they dealing with everyone? Um, we know that they've already made offers to Phoenix um, to move him there. Apparently that also <laughs> came into his thinking. He wasn't overly impressed to hear his name in trade rumours, um, that they were trying to move him to bring Paul George in. Um, and I sort of said, I mean, Eric Bledsoe's another guy. You know, you watch Eric Bledsoe next to LeBron, and I don't think the difference between him and Kyrie might not be as much as you think, particularly if Bledsoe could stay healthy. Um, and Bledsoe brings another dimension on the defensive end that Kyrie doesn't bring. Different players, but I, I, I think Bledsoe's going to be a lot better than what he's shown at Phoenix, playing next to LeBron James as well. So I think there is yeah. a bump that you get. And that's one of the things about LeBron that we don't speak about enough of him. Um, is that how much better he makes his teammates. It may not have worked yeah. necessarily with Kevin Love, but Love's a different type of player. I think certain types of players will just naturally be better um, playing next to him. And I don't think Jordan bought that out as much. Um, you could make an argument otherwise for that, but I, I think um, I'll back LeBron's ability to just bring out the best in his teammates consistently. Um, and he's certainly done that for Kyrie and... I think if you if you made a move, and, and the trade that I've heard that I like a lot also involves Phoenix, and it was uh, bringing Bledsoe in from Phoenix. Mello comes over as well from the Knicks. Um, Nickel, Nick, <laughs> I'll never get that name right. Frankie uh, Smokes. We'll call Frankie Smokes from the Knicks goes to the Suns. 
and of course uh, Kyrie goes to the Knicks. And then there's a few draft picks and, and going back and forth within that as well. That was the one that made the most sense to me because I think Kyrie, if you want to go out there and, and prove, you know, what level you are at, go to the Knicks. That's your team from day one. You've got Porzingis. There's a running mate for the next few years. He's still only 25. Gives the Knicks hope. Uh, I like Bledsoe and Mello on the, on the Cavs. And I think that, that rounds their team out nicely. And I don't think Steph Curry's going to enjoy playing against the fully healthy Eric Bledsoe next year in the playoffs, if he comes down to the finals again. So it gives them a bit of a different look to throw it at Golden State, although Mello certainly doesn't bring anything on the defence again. And then uh, Phoenix can continue their rebuild. And then naturally, that you know, you'd imagine there might be another pick thrown in there for them as well. Um, but now that they can continue their rebuild with some nice young talent um, to build around, you know, Chris and then Booker and some of the young guys that they've already got there, and of course Josh Jackson. So I like that trade on all sides. Um, the other teams, I can't really see how San Antonio be involved in this unless a third team comes in and. And we already know there's a fairly tepid market out there for Marcus Aldridge. Minnesota, the same thing. I mean, Jeff Teague would have to be involved in any trade there. You'd think he can't even be traded till 15th of December. So that's quite a way down the track. And uh, Miami just signed a heap of contracts themselves. So they're a little bit hamstrung as to when they would be able to make any moves, if they can make any moves. I guess Dragic going to the Cavs and, and some sort of package involving Dragic, maybe that piques some people's interests, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I struggle to see how Miami can sort of get involved there as well. But, I mean, are there any other trades in the rumours or things that people have thrown out there sort of jumped out at you? Well, um, just in a bubble, I'm with you and that sort of the Phoenix one, <laughs> just it all sort of lines up, the money kind of lines up, the team sort of line up. And it just it makes a lot of sense. That'd probably be the one deal that would um, restore LeBron's faith to want to re-up this year at 100% effort. Because that, for me, is the big variable here. Is you know, to what extent do they need to be checking in with LeBron's camp, right? To say, what if the best deal is um, you know a bunch of picks? So what if the, this is the big, big question, right? And that, you know, I don't, I don't know what this debate is like in, in uh, amongst Cavs, Cavs fans. But what if what's best for your franchise? Do you sell your, do you sell Kyrie now to the highest bidder, no matter where he goes? He doesn't have a no trade clause. He can trade him wherever they want. He's got two years left on his deal, so he's locked in for two more years. Right? That's a pretty, that's a pretty attractive piece. So do you sell him to the highest bidder, knowing that that certainly takes you out of the, um, basically the championship, right? Mm. It takes you out of the, the finals talk this year, but that's best for your team. Or do you pull a, um, what's the French word? Retard. Do you pull that fucking retard the way Indiana handled Paul George? And, you know, I don't know what's true or not true with, if they could have got Kevin Love for him or not, but to get what they got, right? Nichols for the, for Paul George to get, you know, um, whatever they got, that embarrassing thing, all for the sake of, I don't know, trying to give a guy a decent one-year spot and, you know, not wanting your player to be playing against you in the same division sort of thing. Like, is that what's going to, is that going to enter some of what Cleveland's thought process is versus um, LeBron saying, look, he's 
going, hey, LeBron, Kyrie's gone. What do you think? What's going to, what, what gives you confidence that we can give this thing a genuine run next year? What sort of deal? And is it, is it blood sowing? And mellow, or is there anything else? Is there another deal out there? So it's it's freaking hard, right? Where you know the, we can in a bubble, I think, construct a lot of different trade scenarios that sort of make sense on paper. But then, what does that do to the Cavs' season? And you can damn well sure that LeBron's not playing for a season. He's not playing, right? He will not play if he doesn't think there's a chance to win a championship. And how can you blame him? That's why he's built the contract the way he's negotiated the contract the way he's done. Yeah, but in so the Eastern Conference, yeah. you know, LeBron. LeBron and Kevin Love and whatever pieces they put together uh, are still my favourite to take out the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, Boston might, might sort of certainly fancy their chances, but if, if they just got some young pieces around. But uh, I, I take your point, though. I, I think Cleveland obviously have got to make a decision that we reload and go for it this year. Obviously, 50-50 whether LeBron comes back, and that's probably their thinking. I mean, my thinking at the moment is... 95-5, he doesn't come back. But uh, to me, I think no matter what, you've got to reload the game for this year because it is so hard to win a championship in the NBA. Yeah. And when you have LeBron James, when you have Kevin Love, and you have the ability to reload and get some nice pieces. Um, and that's why I think you throw Mellow in, you throw Eric Bledsoe in, though, Maybe you try and move Shumpert's contract out too and bring back some some other piece with that um, as well, although what he's worth, I'm not sure at this stage. So maybe they can pick up another sort of pick as well as part of that. So you've still got a little bit of hope for the future. But uh, that that's where I think they'll go. I, I think while you've got LeBron James, you owe it to your fans. You, you've relayed up on them. They're paying a massive tax bill anyway. Um, so I think when you've already sort of pushed all your chips to the table and says we're just loading up. And that's why Dan Gilbert, I don't know that he's losing that much sleep over the fact that LeBron's probably gone this year because then he can sort of relax a little bit and say, well, we won the title. I now don't have a massive tax bill and I can go back to my day job of, uh, of evicting people for not paying their water bills. Yeah. You know, so that's... Yeah, they'll be the, the, the couple that got divorced <laughs> twice and just agree to hate each other and... And pretty much no one will be on Dan Gilbert's side. Um, well, that's he right. He doesn't care because he's a billionaire. Well, if Gilbert was smart, he'd probably just say, look, all the best, and maybe you'll come for a one final season with us right at the end of your career or something. And, um, you know, just go into rebuild mode and, and see what see what they can build from there. And who knows, they might get lucky and win another five, you know, for number one picks yeah. in the lottery in a row or something. Look, so. I could talk myself into the fact, just thinking, just on your point, where I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think there's going to be a deal out there where it's going to be pick heavy. So a you know a trade to Boston or a trade to Philadelphia, the two well, probably Boston's the richest of the rich, right? With future, future first. So that whilst that quote might be best for the franchise in the long run, that's not happening. Um, not while LeBron's there with a no trade, that's not happening. So I'm with you. There probably will be some version of a reload, which so. That comes to your Carmelo Bledsoe option, or the look. I could talk myself into the into a combination of Goran Dragic, a healthy Justice Winslow, and maybe throw in a another piece, another wing. I don't know. Pick one of the wings, not Deion Waiters, Josh Richardson. You know, you're not getting value, but what you're getting yourself is depth, right? You're getting yourself wing depth, and you know, a bit of a bit of savvy veteran play like Dragic. 
at the point guard so I could talk myself into it again. Don't don't mistake me. This is not getting value, but um, I can if, see if that. If I'm the Cavs, I'm moving everything I can. I'm just saying I want Kamal Anthony what? this year. Does that help? I mean, that... Well, they're, rather, they're, they're, they're basically loaded up saying we're going all offense. So if you're just going to try and outscore the Warriors yeah. every game, why not? They, 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 they don't care about stops, yeah. yeah, they don't. Yeah. They just hope that you get a few stops. Maybe they miss a few shots, whatever. Um, if, because that's doing their game plan anyway. And as I said, if you can get an Eric Bledsoe in the trade as well, so obviously then you've got your replacement point guard, and there's a guy that doesn't always need the ball anyway. Perfectly. For what they want, um, but that—that's the main guy I'm focused on because obviously Camillo wants to go to Cleveland. Um, anyway, it's one of the two destinations. Yeah, I, I just thought, I just say, don't sleep on Goran Dragic, mate. He's got twenty. That's a twenty-point scorer. He's a twenty-and-six player, right? Who can shoot forty percent from downtown. So I mean, don't. I, I'm with you. I'm just. I could talk myself into. It. I think that Carmelo. Yeah, but I think you've really got. It's harder to do. With, yeah, I, I agree. I just think with Dragic, there's not much else. Then, then uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of not. I'm pretty lukewarm on, on Winslow, and even Richardson. I'm only. I'm sort of yeah, not not that excited about him either, or whoever else well, Miami could throw in. Um, but that's I think, what I mean. I mean, that's that's the option. I mean, I'm just kind of going with the four teams. If we open it up to the you know, to the whatever, the 10 other teams that might be interested in Kyrie. Well, the only other thing I've heard is the Cavs are, are interested in Danny Green, um, but they need another piece. Obviously, Danny Green's not going to get it done on his own, but that, 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 that if they can get a third team involved that sends a nice piece to the Cavs along with Danny Green, and maybe that team's interested in the Marcus Aldridge, that's the way I've heard the Spurs might get involved. But um, as I said earlier, the, the market yeah. is just so tepid. The, the Marcus Aldridge at the moment and, and his contract, um, which essentially is two years and he's got a player option for the next year, but you'd have to imagine yeah. the way he's going, he's going to opt into that. Um, so I don't, I don't see there being a massive market there for the Spurs to get involved um, in this. And look, who knows, maybe another team just comes in and, and the Cavs say, you know what, you put in the trade because you'll go wherever we send you and then they can take the risk. I mean, he's got two years on his contract anyway, so you've got two years to potentially try and talk him in the state. Um, so who knows what other team may or may not get involved um, between now and then uh, in terms of yeah, what they can say. Yeah. In terms of the when, um, I would be... I think it would be... I wouldn't be shocked if they start the season with him there anyway. Um, look, he's not the first player to put in the trade request and, and, and start the season with his team. Um but obviously, if, if things start poorly for the Cavs, then the clock will be ticking, and of course his value will continue to go down um, the further they get into the season, um, particularly if they do struggle for whatever reason. And even in the week Eastern Conference, we saw they went the second half of last season at a 500 record. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that this team will struggle to start the season if everyone's not happy campers. What's your over under? What's your what's your over percentage that Kyrie is back in Cleveland? I think it's fifty fifty because I don't think the and the only reason I say this is I don't think the Cavs are going to sell him at a at any sort of a discount just to say we don't want to start the season with him. 
and that's what you, I think part of what you saw in Indiana. They were just they just wanted to get a deal done and say let's let's get this deal done, then we can move on the free agency and whatever else we're going to do. I think that was part of what what their thinking was. Um, I don't think you're going to see that with Cleveland. I think they're going to say look. We're, we're happy still with the team that we've got. Kyrie's a professional. He's going to turn up and play. Um, obviously, you know, LeBron and him will, will probably have a conversation if they haven't done so already um, to make sure that they're on the same page to start the season. And um, the Cavs will, as I said, the big question then for them is, do we, are we looking at future assets uh, or are we looking at guys this year? Because, of course, they can just leave play at the season and then next year, assuming LeBron doesn't re-sign, and start to rebuild in that sense. So that's another way of doing it as well. Um, whether that's the way it's going to go, I'm not, I'm not sure. And I'm sure. And I'm sure part of his thinking too is he just didn't want to be a part of um, the circus that's going to be LeBron, LeBron James's free agency, um, which will just dominate the NBA airwaves, etc. And, and, and that's yeah, no fault of LeBron's. That's just the, the the moodier environment that we live in now, um, you know, I, I think he sort of, he revels in it a little bit, but uh, overall I think that's going to be a, a defining uh, storyline of the season, you know, what's happened with LeBron, um, and we, you know, we won't sort of dive into it tonight too far, but uh, my sort of inkling is I, I already feel like it's, he's out the door and, and looking very closely at the Lakers, Um I know you've got some different takes on that, but I, I think it is going to be an interesting dynamic there in Cleveland this year. To your Deadpool reference, um, looking at, at, at the fact that LeBron's probably not going to be there in, in 2018-2019. Yeah, unless this Kyrie trade does something, right? That's why i got to leave open where this is an opportunity for Cleveland now, right? So let's, Kyrie showed his hand. You know, he's helped be part of a championship, three straight finals. Hard to argue with, you know, Kyrie here. In his in his motives, I I my over under is way above fifty. I think it's eighty five percent chance well, that he's gone before the season. I just don't see a con. What's the conversation? Okay, you know, what's well, Ty fucking Lou going to say? Right? Okay, I know you're expiring and you don't want to be here. Let's go win a title. You know, I, I just don't. I just don't. Well, the conversation is if you want to do the banana boat team, I think that almost the best chance of doing that now is in Cleveland if you bring in Camelo Anthony with this trade and then Chris Paul's a free agent in the next year let's assume things go pear-shaped in Houston, he wants out, he comes over, Dwayne Wade signs and then there's your banana boat team in Cleveland that's <laughs> in Cleveland that's, that's not very fun uh, there's no banana boats in the is there, I was going to say Urgh. what's that like? cold dad it's very cold yeah, uh, but, yeah, yeah, but the, the Kyrie's still under contract, right? So I'm like, where's he go? They got to get rid of him. So well, they do the they do the mellow yeah. trade that they've already outlined. Oh, I see. Um, I see. And okay. then uh, Chris Paul comes and signs in the off season, and Dwayne Wade comes over. So there you go. Yeah, um, they don't have any cap space to sign Chris Paul. That's the issue. So they have to go find. Well, they have to make some cap space with other moves. Obviously, yeah, Kevin Love will yeah. be out the door as well as, as part of all that. Sort of oh, thing. sure, okay, yeah, okay. But it's not easier for LeBron. It's easier for LeBron moves. it's <laughs> <laughs> just easier. Well, let's look at a few other um, a few other uh, free agent signings. 
Um, I'm just, I've just got a list up here now. I'm going to make it sort of go through by position a little bit because there's been a few other signings um, since we last spoke. Um, I'm looking at Derek Rose's name at the moment. He was ranked number eight by SB Nation in, in uh, point guards, but he's yet to sign anywhere. So we're hearing a lot of different rumours about where Derek Rose might end up, including uh, your Milwaukee Bucks. But uh, nowhere, nowhere that's uh, a definite as yet. So, And I haven't sort of heard any last few days. It did seem like he was close to the Cavs himself. Um, but we'll wait and see where he ends up. Um, this year, one one free, uh, one uh, point guard that did end up somewhere that was uh, Rajan Rondo, who went to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, I, I'm, this is a head scratcher for me because people are saying, "Oh, this this is going to be fascinating to see how does Rondo go with with uh, Boogie Cousins and how does this all work." I'll tell you how it's going to work. They're going to lose and they're going to lose a lot of games because Rajan Rondo, ever since he left Boston has lost a lot of games. He played a full season with Boogie Cousins. They lost a lot of games. I don't understand why this is going to be any different. Rondo is the same player that he was. Okay, he had a couple of moments in the playoffs with the Bulls, but that was not a good Chicago Bulls team. Uh, he has not been a good player, uh, other than a few nationally televised games here or there, uh, when he sort of feels like turning up. I cannot understand the fascination teams continually have with Rajan Rondo, and uh, this is uh, this was just a head scratcher for me from the moment they did it. But I'm interested in your thoughts. Well, everything New Orleans does is a head scratcher, right? Um, um, it's one of two things, and it might be both. One of two things, it might be both neither or pick, pick one from each column. This is either a, or I was, a complete indictment on an indictment, um, a, a vote of, of wavering confidence on Drew Holiday and his ability to run an offense, this offense with this team, or he's just, he's Rajon Rondo, and can you believe it, he's only 30 years old. He's not exactly old yet, um, and it's an old guy who's got some familiarity in the Kentucky ties, and you know he's he's played with Boogie before, and he's cheap, and this is New Orleans who is so asset desperate that it's just a it's a, an act of convenience, and maybe it's a little bit of both, but I don't love Holiday's fit on the team, I don't love Rondo's ability to not shoot really any better, but he can run, theoretically can run a pick and roll and play some defense. Nice and keyword theoretically. But um, look, it's not going to be a, it's not going to move the dial. This isn't a move that's going to keep Anthony Davis in town any longer. It's a, um, it's just another move in a sequence of move by, by New Orleans, which just feels like it's heading off a cliff. If this team doesn't start like, you know, fourteen and seven or fourteen and eight, and they start eight and fourteen. It's it's going to be so bad so quickly, right? Boogie's going to be boogie. He's not going to get back on D. He's he's going to, you know, he's going to he's going to do something. He'll he'll accidentally shove the female referee or something, you know. And you, know, you just you know that's that's where it's headed. 
Well, it feels yeah. like a train wreck, doesn't it? That that Drew Holiday contract's one of the worst in the summer, without a doubt. I, now, I, I'm with you. I don't think that gets enough criticism. I hated it when it was signed. Well, people are criticising the Tim Hardaway contract. I'd rather Tim Hardaway, even that, if I'm New Orleans, if someone said, give me Tim Hardaway on his contract, or we keep Drew Holiday on his, I'll take Tim Hardaway. Can you believe it? I'm with you on that. I'm with you. That's how bad Holiday's contract. I'm 100% with you. Yeah, I mean, and that's something we want to touch on, sort of team building and then what do you pay players. But to pay a guy five years, $25 million a season, uh, is just, that is, that is astounding to me. And when you look at even a guy like George Hill gets three years, $57 million, uh, well below that, I'd much rather have had George Hill on that contract. Um, yeah. George Hill, not the most durable guy either, but Drew Holiday, when was the last time he played 82 games in a season? Uh, so, 2010, 2011, to be exact. Yeah, that's right. Since he, when he was in Philly, he's played. <laughs> that's right. He played 34, 40, 65, and 67. You know. Now, to be fair to the guy, part of that was part of that was the condition with his wife. So that, to be fair to him, that that some of the games missed were due to oh, that. Oh God, that's right. But uh, but still, I mean, he he has struggled to start on the court. He's never proven to be an elite. I mean, yeah, Mike Conley got the big contract last year. And it's like, but we've seen Mike Conley bring in in the past. We've seen Mike Conley playing on an elite level. Um, Drew Holiday, we haven't just haven't seen it from you no. at all. So it, it was a real head-scratcher, um, that one. And I, and I agree, I just don't think we've heard enough criticism about that, that contract um, across the season. So... Well, because the other obviously is the other things get all the, the all the attention, the Dell Demps and the Where's Boogie and the Anthony Davis clock. But I'm I'm with you. You know, I'm I'm. It's a train wreck. They still they signed Rondo. They still don't have any shooting. Like oh. it's like they're doing what the Bulls did last year. Like, well, that's oh, it. I mean, wouldn't you do the the Rob Hennigan? Yeah. Wouldn't you do the Rob Hennigan white ball and just say, let's get every single shooter. <laughs> You know what I mean? Every single shooter that's, that's right. a free agent, and that's who we're going to sign. You know, and then then we'll sign a couple of guys who would do, you know, all three and D guys or whatever it might be. Like to just get guys that are so so ball handlers, you know, so so hoops IQs. It's sort of Drew Holiday's just the guy that does he does everything okay, but he doesn't do anything at an elite level. And yet you're paying him as an elite point guard. So That's what I mean. It just just shows again this is we could I might put a we might put a list together of tiers and and actually go through it. But we talk about you know competent um, professional general managers. We talk about elite general managers like Daryl Morey and Sam Presti. You know to get I just juxtapose it with Patrick Patterson. He signed for something crazy about three years, sixteen or something, right? Am I? Yep. Patrick Patterson, right? Talk about a value play, right? A 3 and D player, a longish wing who played pretty well in the playoffs. Oklahoma City gets him for nothing, $5 million a year for three years. And what, New Orleans can't make a play on that guy? What, because you have Solomon Hill or even, you know, sharpshooting Tony Snell? Why not throw a, why not throw a, a RFA contract out there so your cap, your cap money gets tied up for for 72 hours. Well, you know what? You're trying to improve a team around Anthony Davis. Go get yourself a, a 40% three-point shooter who loves to play defense. 
Mm-hmm. You know, why not throw a, what did smell, four for 46? Okay, go four for 58 or something. You know that it was about 10, 11 million. You have to pay a bit of a premium and make the teams think, right? That's why I just don't like, I don't like anything New Orleans has done. I don't like the lazy discussion that's, oh, they had no choice but Drew Holiday. You know what? Daryl Morey thought he had no choice. He didn't, he never has no choice. Mm. So I'm just. Oh, like, I think the yeah. thing with them was, and, and they got, they played it safe. Because they thought if we don't resign Drew Holiday and we strike out in free agency and we go back into the season with Rajon Rondo and Jonathan Simmons, let's say for argument's sake, what's that going to say to Anthony Davis? But I guess if you back yourself and you back your ability to sign some guys uh, and you can actually come back with a team that you go, hang on, this this is now a team that makes sense. Um, the team they've come back with now makes no sense. And if you're going to start with Drew Holiday, uh, Rajon Rondo, Solomon Hill, and, and Boogie and AD, well, good luck. <laughs> I know. I'm like serious. I'm like serious. Like fucking Ron Baker, KCP, and Tony Snell would make more sense than what they've done. Like, exactly. That's why I just pick some. Pick somebody. I, I love your. It's Ron Hedigan. Pick a. Do a whiteboard, and just go after it. Fucking Ben McLemore would have made more sense. You know, for them, because in theory, he can shoot the ball. <laughs> you just list the Flotsam and Jetsam and, you know, yeah. on the free agent list, it just would make more sense on this team. Hell. Well, that's it. And anyway. have, have, a, have that thing where you go, well, we're just going to sign $10 million guys now and have a heap of guys at that level because we've got our two superstars. Now we're going to build around them, but you're now paying like you've got your big three with Drew Holiday and you haven't got a big three. You've got... Yeah potentially a big two and, and, and a half. Um, yeah. So let's move on. That's that's the impressive yeah, yeah. Look, last week I said I didn't want to talk about this team at all, but they're forcing me to talk about them because I really like every, every move Magic Johnson. Uh, and who's the guy, refresh my memory, the actual GM? Rob Palinka. Rob Palinka. Every move they've made I've actually liked. I like their draft. And we'll talk about their draft a bit more in the context of the summer league, which they won. But also, like this signing, Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope, one year, eighteen million with the Lakers. Um, he's got a nice game. I, I think there's some upside there. He, he shot thirty-five percent from three last year. You'd hope he, he sort of pushes that up more towards a thirty-eight to forty percent next year. But he's going to be looking to put up some numbers and, and get himself a payday in the next off-season. Um, but I, I like that, that signing, and that, that sort of strengthens that Lakers team. They're not tanking for anything next year. Um, I could see them being a, a cheeky team, um, sort of around that sort of 30-win mark next year, and they're going to be exciting to watch with the way that they play. But what would you make of that signing? Same. It's just smart. It's just a good, it's a good value play. It's a one-year deal. You, you, get, you test him out, see if he's you know, a, a guy who can help make the team better. And you know, perhaps he'll get a bit of a friendly discount as the as the superstars come come running in. He'll have bird rights. Exactly. I, I like it. Yep. And he's got he's you know he's a youngish guy. He he plays defense. He's a rugged player. He's well, I, I don't have those numbers in front of me. But he's he never gets hurt. Right. This is a guy who plays 80, 80 games a year. Um, you know, been developed some good habits under Stan Van Gundy. I I don't know what the fuck's going on in Detroit. Where I go, yeah, Avery Bradley is an upgrade over KCP, but you're gonna have to pay really in this, next year. This big of a deal, I know. Like this, you know, that that big of an upgrade. Mm. So I mean, considering what Henningen paid, 
think this is what Jeff Green got from Orlando last year, like one year, 16 million. Yep. One year, 18. I kind of go, yep, that's actually, I'll take, the, I'll take KCP over, over last year's Jeff Green. I like it. I like it. I'm with you. Mm. It's a nice defensive player. Maybe he and Lonzo. I don't know what Lonzo can do on D, but um, I like it. I like KCP. He's yeah. a nice seven. He's a really nice rotation piece. Now, granted, eighteen million. Yeah, you know, it's a bit on the edge, but why not? They got nothing to lose. I mean, well, let's see if he can really prove himself as a three and D guy, and he's sort of borderline that elite three and D level. Um, you know, he's a, and I sort of, I, I think Danny Green's one of the top players at that level. Obviously, Clay Thompson's the, the creme de la creme of, of that position, but he's probably a bit more than that. Um, but I think in, if you're shooting, as I say, around 38, 40% from three, that's when, you, when you've got the three and D really down pat, which probably like Tony Snell sort of did. But I think uh, Caldwell Pope's got even more um, upside yeah. than that um, in his game. So love that signing uh, for the for the Lakers. Uh, Jonathan Simmons, uh, that was a bit of a strange one. There was all sorts of rumours flying around about him. The, the, in the end, it seemed the Spurs didn't even make him an offer. Um the Spurs, I think, just sort of backed their own process to say, look, we can find a Jonathan Simmons anywhere. They ended up signing a Brandon Hall from the Cavs' summer league team. Um, and, and the sort of internal feeling is they're just going to play him the same minutes that Jonathan Simmons played last year and hope he shows the same level of improvement. So Jonathan Simmons went and signed with Orlando Magic for $7 million for three, seven million a year for three years, but there was uh, some guarantees, etc., that may not happen in the third year. Uh, there, look, uh, as long as um, I think it's a good sign for Orlando, as long as they don't expect him to do anything outside of his comfort zone. Um, I, I like uh, Frank Vogel as a coach for him. Um, I think he's going to be, you know, he, he respects D, he respects length, he likes these sort of athletic wing guys. Um, you know, he could. Uh, we saw Lance Stevenson really play well um, under Vogel. I see a little bit of Lance's game in Jonathan Simmons when Lance was really good um, under Vogel. So, look, it, it's a reasonable... It, it's certainly not an overpay. We, we sort of spoke about Simmons and said about $7 million a year was it was about right. So um, it, it's it's rare to see Orlando make a move that you're not completely at odds with and not an overpay. But uh, I guess there's some adults in the front office there now. Well, you know that I I didn't love the optics of how they handled the handle Manu and Powell. I didn't love the optics of how they handled Simmons um, in San Antonio, to be honest. But look, I'm just happy the guy got paid. You know, he had a, a nice run there in the playoffs and got himself 20 million, which you know he can now retire a happy man. So, by all all sort of measures, is a is a just a quality individual, right? Not often we talk about this in the you know on the NBA, but he's cheer for guys like Jonathan Simmons. So good on him for getting his his twenty bills. And I um, yeah, look, Weltman and and Hammond are you know they're professional basketball men, and I think you know I think their strategy would have been you know can we get Jonathan Simmons, Shelvin Mack, and Maurice Spates, and complete the complete clusterfuck question mark Riddler roster that we have in Orlando? And ding ding ding, they did it, they did it. Is Hennigan, is Hennigan still running things? I don't want... Because that's the other news that they got. They're signing... It's close to signing Maurice Spates because, you know, you can't get enough 300-pound guys who make Antoine Walker, you know, look like, uh, you know, Richard Simmons. So anyway, yeah, good, good on good on Jay Simmons. Happy for him. 
nice little player. He can go not shoot the ball with Alfred Prayton. And, uh, you know, I, I hate the fit. In or, do they need a defensive player in Orlando? What do you, can you imagine that horse game? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I only like the fit with Frank Vogel. I don't like the fit with that roster. Yeah. Who does fit with that roster in terms of Frank? Well, I'm just saying. I it's just this. nuts. Um, they don't play horse. They just play hoe because it would just take too fucking long <laughs> if they didn't. Uh, and you talked about Marjan Overly. He is coming back for another year. Uh, so we've got another year of some of the best flops you'll ever see in San Antonio. <laughs> so that's, that's something to look forward to. Uh, just making my way down, there was no real other signings. Uh, Jamal Crawford with the Timberwolves, is that, is that, I, I sort of went with uh, Bill Simmons' take on that. I thought the, the whole Jamal Crawford, where's he going to go, was a little bit overrated. I mean, he, he wasn't that great last year and he's sort of getting a bit long in the tooth now. They expect he's going to be a major contributor on the contender. I don't get it. Yeah. just doesn't seem like a Thibodeau guy at all, does he? I mean, he's a quality get another quality human being who's a, you know, it's like him and Jason Terry, just freakish, you know, in their mid to late thirties who can still run and run and run and run and never seem to get tired. Can you believe he played, he still played 26 minutes a game last year, Jamal Crawford. Mm. So, um, you're pretty bad. You're right. His numbers are, you know, his numbers are down. His efficiency is down. His plus minus is down. Um, you know, his PER is it all sort of just down, but dude is 37. I just I didn't quite get it for Minnesota, but again I'm not gonna. It's not really gonna change their roster uh, too much. He'll get a little run perhaps with the second unit, but yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm giving him two years. Why yeah, it's a strange that? one to me. Why did? Why did you know, if he had that many offers, you know, many options, let him go. Mm. Um, the other one was I think we could have called this a month ago. Maybe you might have. But, uh, Deadman he landed in Atlanta. That just happened. I think the last. Last day or two, so your old your old boy. I was thinking of Jay Simmons. Yeah, he was two Deadman. years, fourteen million with De- uh, Dwayne Dedman, and that, that was all you know. I mean, there was no doubt that um, that the Spurs were going to resign. He wasn't coming back. Yeah. No, no. So um, look, that's that's a reasonable contract. He'll probably start for them. Um, John Collins showed a little bit in, in summer league for the Hawks as well. Uh, so same same sort of thing as, as Simmons in a sense. Don't don't expect too much from him. He's he's a a reasonable player in the pick and roll, um, reasonable rim protector, just sort of a, a, a guy that's a steady across most levels of his game, but, but no areas is he outstanding either. And I think seven million a season is quite quite fine. I mean, it's much better than yeah. playing him seven million a year than um, than uh, what's the guy? Dwight Howard twenty seven. Dwight Howard twenty seven, or um, who's the other guy? Up is Mark Biombo seventeen million a year. Oh, um, there, yeah. so a couple of free agents that haven't signed yet. One's a restricted Jamal Green, uh, restricted free agent. They're sort of still feeling like he's going to go back to the Grizzlies, but he's not. His team's not really happy with the way the Grizzlies have handled it. They want a better offer than that. What they're willing to give at the moment. Um, Miritich is still out there, hearing he's going to go back to the Bulls, but again, nothing's been sorted on that yet. Uh, your boy Michael well, Beasley. Sorry, I mean I think just. Uh... Just back on Jay Michael, right? So sort of a is this just not another another in a long line of indications that you know kind of classic bigs, you know, he's not a stretchy guy. He's a classic bigs just aren't in demand and Yeah, but Jay Michael Green's got a bit of stretch to his game. He got a little bit of yeah, he showed a bit a of stretch little. last year. He's certainly not out to the three point line, but 
Um, he's, a, he's a nice player, but again, the sort of level that they're talking about, and this is what we want to get onto when we talk about a bit of team building and, and contracts and that, he's sort of looking at the level that you're sort of not quite willing uh, to pay at no. the moment. Um, no. And Miritich is maybe in the same boat. Well, age, age isn't on his side. I mean, he's Jonathan Simmons. No, well, he was he was basically following sort the same of a late bloomer. He was following yeah, the exact same path right. as Jonathan Simmons. He came through the Spurs uh, D League team um, to get that's a run. Right. Got a couple of runs with the Spurs, and then the, the Grizzlies picked him up, and uh, he's gone from strength to strength. Um, your boy Michael Beasley still out there. Um, he showed a few signs last year. I mean, that's I could see him popping up somewhere and. We sort of have a double take at the box scores like we did last year. Look, those of us in Bucks Nation, just we, you know, it's not we were giving up much when we traded um, Tyler Ennis to get him, but we're just like, this is right after Chris Middleton's horrible injury. It's like, fuck, all right, that's the level we're at, and we just we hated, you know, November was like the bash Michael Beasley show, and then then you realize actually this he kind of has grown up. You know, he's, um, and I mean that as a, as a, as a person and yeah, he's still prone to the occasion to pull up 19 footers, you know, in 23 seconds on the shot clock, you know, um, when you're down three, <laughs> um, but, um, he will frustrate you, but by all regards, he was a great teammate. The guys couldn't say enough about him. Um, so he, here's a guy who's gotten his life straightened out, which is, which is good, and you would remember his game in San Antonio. Oh, no doubt, yeah. He fucking, geez, he played like Carmelo Anthony that day, right? He couldn't just, stop him. Couldn't stop him. He's, he's, a, he's a second. He's a second unit bucket getter. Who's a who's a good dude. Who, um, yeah, another guy you just sort of now cheer for. Where another guy who's kind of gone through Milwaukee, who's had uh, a similar sort of life arc, which is OJ Mayo, who's gone off the rails sadly, right? He had a yeah, you know, kind of a bad drug bust after he left Milwaukee. So these guys who kind of you know have, you know, basically they were grown ups at the age of fourteen, right? Yeah. Um, he's kind of cheer for him to kind of get the stuff figured out, and good old bees became a bit of a, a crowd favorite in Milwaukee in the end. Just good dude. He'll get him in deal somewhere for sure. He'll. Yeah, he'll I mean, look, different different position, but I think I'd prefer him than Jamal Crawford coming off the bench. Yeah. He's a nice player. Yeah, I gotta say, he's he's he he get you buckets. He's it's like between him and Greg Monroe, like that second unit. Like there's two dudes who shoot, you know, raw field goal percentages in the you know mid fifties. They're they're gonna get buckets. They're gonna score points, and so he's just that. Nobody's good at you know. Michael Beasley was always good at. You know what? The team goes on an eight zero run. He's gonna get you points. Yeah. He's not going to let the second units go on some 12-0, 14-0 runs or anything. So, um, and he's one anyway. of those guys that always thinks he's the best player on the court. Doesn't matter who's yeah. out there. He thinks he's the best player. So he's, he's, he's really skilled. There is something to be said for that. If you've got some skill to yeah. back it up, that's right. I never, right, I never in a million years, right, would have ever believed I'd have sort of my complete 180 with LeBron in his life. Similar to Beasley, just watching him play. I, I, you know, I probably saw him play 30 or 40 times last year. He's fucking skilled. That dude's got great footwork, and he'll get a shot, and he can elevate. And Anyway, we've okay. spent way too long time on Michael Beasley. <laughs> Let's touch on a few centers. Round up a few centers. I haven't signed yet. Um, Pau Gasol coming back to the Spurs hasn't been made official yet, but apparently that's going to be through a year deal. 
Um, that's why he opted out. He wanted a longer. Well, the Spurs sort of said to him, "You'd have a longer deal." That's what's what going to happen. Like that. You com- you have uh, hinder. I, I don't have a problem with it. He's Look, not going to play three years, is he? I don't you second guess what the Spurs what the Spurs do. Um, oh, you're a blind loyalist. I, I don't second guess what what RC and, and Pop do in the front office there. So we'll move on. Uh, that'll be a great signing. Nerland's Noel restricted for agent. He's <laughs> He is. Well, that's uh, getting interesting. Actually. That is getting interesting because uh, he's at a bit of an impasse, um, similar to Jamal Green, um, in that he's not very happy with what what's being offered. But there's not much of a market for him, unfortunately, and there's really no one else out there apart from I think maybe they said Phoenix could throw in an offer, and I don't think the Nets have got the cap space now. So there's there's really no terms left. They could make an offer. Massive gap. I mean, that's a problem. I thought we all thought that was a good a good trade for Dallas, right? Like a really nice fit. But um, that's going to be a problem. I mean, not that Dallas is anywhere near relevant yet, although Dennis Smith seems to be hell bent on changing that. But I guess the reports are he wants about twenty million a year, and it's like they're looking at the twelve sort of twelve million range and. This is part of what this problem of, of last year's funny money when this when the cap spiked is when when M Plumley and T Mozgov go and get and B Biombo go and get 16 17 18 million you can see the logic of you know Noel and his and his agent in their camp saying look if these these clowns are getting that money he's definitely worth you know 18 20 well, so I it's think, easy to see the logic, right? I think so, what will happen there is he will, he will be unrestricted. He'll end up selling a one-year deal in, in Dallas and, and test the markets again next year. He'll take the QO, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a dangerous That's a dangerous game, especially for a guy with injury history. I mean, that's, it, it does open up a good point. Um, what's And we'll sort of, we might move into the, the team building stuff now and we'll, we'll touch on some of it in because I'm interested in your take. What is the inflection point now? on contracts in the NBA. So is it, and what I'm seeing this this year, and, it, and it's really fascinating, I think, when you look at the Rockets and what they're sort of trying to do at the moment, because one of the things they need to do, I think, is move on that Rowan Anderson contract, that he's making $20 million next two years. Now, when they signed that last year, they thought that was just market value, that's a fine contract. Now that's looking like a real albatross contract. And I think the inflection point now is around that $15 million mark. And we're seeing guys like Merlin's Noel, like even Jamal Green may not be quite at that level, but the, the, the guys that are looking and holding out and saying we want to get $17 million a year or 15 plus, and teams are walking at that because I think once you pay a guy plus $15 million a year, you're essentially saying this is our guy. We're now stuck with him because we're going to have a very hard time moving this contract in a trade once we sign, that, sign this guy up. And then that comes down to the team building argument. Are we just all holding our, our power to dry for the superstars so that we've got enough money when these big max free agents come on board? Or are we just trying to build the team in the best way possible? If that's market valuable, that's what we pay. And I think that's what a lot of teams are asking themselves. And we're seeing teams like Orlando go the, 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 the latter route where they're just paying guys and saying, well, that's market value. This is the guy we want to build our team. And it sort of goes pear-shaped very quickly, whereas other teams are sort of keeping their flexibility and keeping their power dry, soon to be able to 
to make better moves, I guess, um, off season to off season. But what's your sort of take on it? Is that is that a fair reflection? You think the inflection point now is around about that fifteen million mark? That's where teams are going to walk on these long term contracts because you're giving up your flexibility and you're really locking yourself into a player. Well, the the two things here, right, is the there's the dollar value, and then there's for me the bigger question actually is the is the contract length and the risk that players are taking, right? When you we think back um, to pick your player, Anton Jameson, you know, hundred million dollar contract, Gilbert Arenas, hundred and what was his hundred and fifteen or hundred and twenty million dollar contract, or going back further, the generation before that that led to these CBA changes. Well, right, the Derek Coleman's dog, and that, yeah. The D. Coleman's, but I'm talking rookies, right? Big oh, Robinson yeah. Dra- yep. Drafted, got a 10-year guaranteed, wasn't a huge, like 70 million or something like that. But, you know, so the, the, the conversation was for owners. That's why the fucking owners have won pretty much every, you know, CBA negotiation, which is they just didn't want to pay all this guaranteed money to young kid who, you know, was an, were an unproven asset. And so now they've gotten the big concession, right, which was this, you know, they got the, the rookie scale and a pretty tight rookie, you know, rookie scale and rookie salary cap, if you will. Um, so rookie rookie contracts are, are are very, very desirable. And on the other end of the spectrum, right, you got your super max and the designated player stuff, you know, um, with the 10 years and all NBA conditions, etc. Excuse me, but theoretically keep your stars, right? That's the logic is if you can... We want the parity in the league, so you want your mid-market teams to try and be able to keep Paul George or Carmelo Anthony. But um, what's happened is probably a bit unpredicted, was, yep, those rules are in place, but players are saying, you know what, I'm making so much money anyway. Am I really going to be worse off? I'm going to just take whatever. Chris Paul, for me, is the perfect example. He turned down, or at least didn't push for a max. For whatever, two hundred million guaranteed, he's going to play for one year, mm-hmm. right? He blows an ACL, he could be out. I don't know, sixty, eighty, a hundred million dollars if he has a catastrophic injury this year. So that for me is the more fascinating thing: is the players are taking these really big dollar but really short contracts, so they can play year to year or two years at a time, or player options are more popular than ever. So I'm probably less focused on the the inflection point or the dollar value you're paying for starters and more on the, how the hell do you build a team for how do you build a team when the stars have, they're taking way more risk than ever. They're, you know, they're tighter than ever in terms of their friendships and their bonding. And they're just working together to say, Hey, let's, you know, they're, they're valuing play the play and how much they enjoy playing the game and winning more than they are loyalty or, you know, this building a legacy with the team or anything like that. So it, that for me is the hardest part about, uh, so I don't have any answers other than that for me is the giant question for this era of general managers is how do you build a team when guys in your superstars can leave? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very interesting question. Um, and, there's no easy answers. Um, I, I think the key really is, because of the, all this one-year stuff, you maintain your flexibility. And that's the key, because then if you've got one of the superstars, you're hoping that if guys are going to want to play somewhere, they're going to want to play with our superstar. 
rather than our superstar leaving to look and go and play somewhere else because we don't have the flexibility. You know, imagine Giannis comes to the front office and says, look, I've just been texting with Anthony Davis. He wants to come run with me next year when he's a free agent. And they go, well, actually, you know, uh, we've still got, uh, you know, uh, Alex Len on Mirror's the books. <laughs> Italian deli. <laughs> you know, like, we've still got all these guys on the books at $10 million a year. We can't really move these contracts. Oh, we can't get it done. You know, whereas, obviously, the Daryl Morey situation, he was very quick to say, okay, let's let's make this happen. We're going to move, we've got movable contracts here. Okay, Rowan Anderson's probably not a movable contract, but we've got these sort of movable contracts here. Let's make yeah. this happen. Um, and I guess, is that, because traditionally, of course, you're trying to build a team, either to play in a certain style, or maybe you look at the, the Washington, and we've talked about this a few times, you know, the prototypical point guard, shooting guard, small forward, etc. Or do you, are you just trying to sign as many stars as you possibly can and saying, look, the talent will win out in the end? I think that's another question um, that, that teams can be asking themselves. Um, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not convinced that just signing all the stars and trying to bring stars in is always going to be the way to win. Um, it depends on who the stars are. Look, I mean, OK, we've seen it work in Gulf State, we've seen it work in Miami, but there's a number of times when it hasn't worked as well because the fit hasn't been quite right. So I think the next few years will certainly tell us in terms of how other teams are doing it because um, it's not always as easy to luck into it the way the Warriors did in terms of the perfect type of player being available and, and coming across um, the way they were able to do it. So, um, and, I, well, and I think I also think there's yeah. a generational thing here too that I think we'll look back and say, yep, that LeBron generation of players, that was the players that always wanted to play with each other. And this next generation, there, there's another sort of iteration of, you know, how that, whether they, they go back to being just all individual competitors and we want to be to each other or, or how that sort of works um, from there. But I'm sure there'll be another change that we probably haven't even anticipated coming yet. Well, the, the people smarter than me are all sort of pretending that this is, a, this is obviously horrible for the NBA and what Silver has been trying to build and Stern started and Silver's trying to build, which is, you know, you've got 30 owners, you've got 30 markets, and therefore you want, you know, you've got this pretty hard salary cap and um, pretty restrictive, you know, tax apron, et cetera, you know, is to have not parity, but as close to parity as you can can. So teams in Indiana and Memphis and Oklahoma and Milwaukee, can, you know, can compete, and I think this is going to make it even harder. And so that's that's probably the big the big question going around at the ownership levels is you got all this revenue sharing, but man, you know, these teams, these players are basically, you know, kind of not taking advantage of these things that have been put in place for them to sign these massive extensions with their hometown teams, sorry, the teams that drafted them, then um, that's going to be a big challenge, I think, which then puts even more pressure um, and makes it even more important as if it was already important already. So your market and your attractiveness, i.e. the Lakers and Knicks the past few years, are, you know, completely abhorrent. You know, just then, you know, they, they repel players and repel talent. Mm-hmm. Is that more important than ever to build a system, to build a culture and do the best you can? So what I've said before, the Utah Jazz have done everything right, right? They've built a great culture and they got stability and stable ownership and a good GM they drafted pretty well, right? The best, the only thing they can do 
is keep continuing to try to build as best a culture they can, keep the players they get, and you hope, right? And the hope is that you hit hit on some of your you know some of your first rounders, hit on some of your picks, and then attract the right type of free agents, the guys who just you know who might want to be attracted to that sort of environment, the right type of players with that right sort of temperament. And so when you see things going on like Orlando collecting flotsam and jetsam, and you see what's going on when what the hell's going on in Charlotte and what the hell's going on in Detroit, you kind of go, man, the more dysfunction of these small, smallish or less desirable cities is, you go, know, man, you, they could be entering a, you know, a five to ten year death spiral if you don't get this shit fixed quickly. So that's why, like, I think about my bucks are on a bit of knife's edge the next year or two if their ownership doesn't get shit straightened out or New Orleans, right? So I think this is going to be a, um, that feels like the direction is going towards one players taking shorter deals two therefore the markets are everything. And and players just sort of picking the teams they want to go play with. And uh, Mm. (laughs) you you threw up before. I just, I don't see players flocking to go play in Cleveland. That's just not, that's just not going to happen. You know, it's just, it just isn't. No, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. But, um, the, I think what you're seeing too now is a bit of a Mexican standoff in terms of well, what what is the solution here because the two two solutions I've heard pushed out is a hard cap where you just you cannot go over salary cap now look the players will never agree to that so that that's just you can basically expect another lockout season if that ever gets put on the table the other one I've heard is that if a player is with his hometown team that he should be able to sign for whatever outside of the salary cap. So if you build up your own players and maybe there's one or two players that you can say, you know, we, we nominate these guys as our, um, yeah. for a better word, our marquee players, but of course the owners are never going to agree to that either. So that's where it sort of stands. And at the moment, so we've got this imperfect system where players can sort of forego these, this big money because you're not talking about, you know, leaving tens of the 20 million on the table per season, you're sort of talking of a few million here or there, um, but they, they, leave, they may leave on the table, of course, winning and, and being in a better situation and playing with their friends or whatever it may come with their minds um, is being more important to them at this stage. So um, I'm not sure where it's going to go from here, uh, but I think it's, it, it's certainly something that's interesting to watch and there's a lot of... GMs no doubt asking themselves the same question. There's a lot of teams in very, very um, interesting positions, shall we say, um, and a lot of teams have just have had little long, long runs without success, and you just sort of wonder where it's going to be on the horizon, unless you want to do a Philly type rebuild well, where you just say, we are going to really stink up the joint for four or five years, and then hope that we walk out at the end of it with with some star players out of well, the draft, and we still don't know whether that's going to work for Philly or not. We don't yet, but um, <laughs> I think you could, there's a couple of things you can predict with some degree of probability that what you can predict is there will be owners that pop up to just kind of milk it. But there's like, you know what, we can't compete, we can't win, uh, pay near the salary floor, take my revenue share again, just bank it, because mm. there's now more, there's more motive for that. Well, Mark Cuban would argue that the Eastern Conference owners are already doing that. That's right. That's not, That's exactly right. Um, so look what Indiana, you know, point A, Chicago, Chicago that's, a, that's a little different. 
So yeah, hopefully that's their sort of part one and part two. So one, we're going to see this where they're just going to make they're going to make as much money as possible. The next, not maybe not Donald Sterling, but you know the next version, the next generation of Donald Sterlings who just just there to make money, don't give a shit about anything else. Um, and they're going to have NBA players because they have a franchise. That's how they'll have NBA players. And there's a draft every year, which brings up the bigger questions around the questions around draft and how that works to let this sort of keep happening. Where, right? You can have the Donald Sterlings and how many lottery picks he had year after year. But um, so you have oh, you're going to have owners I think behaving badly, and you're going to have extreme levels of turnover then in your front offices. And those two conditions, right, are going to create. The opposite of what I said in the first point, which is it's going to be even more important to have systems and cultures in place, i.e. the Spoh effect or the Quinn Snyder or the Brad Stevens or whatever it is. You have these systems that are going to attract the right types of players. And with the losing and dysfunctional ownership, there's going to be high degrees of turnover in the front office, and therefore those aren't going to be places anyone's going to want to play. And that's what I mean by a death spiral. I think there will be teams who um, you know, will be the next version of the New York Knicks and just will not be competitive for five, six, seven, eight years at a time, or decades, if you will. So I think that's coming. I think that's, if it's not already happening. Yeah, that, I, I think you're 100% right there. Um, and, and particularly with the Eastern Conference, we've already touched on, I mean, I think there's a number of teams there that have already just said, look, we're, we're just going to wait until LeBron leaves, hopefully, and then we'll see if we, we can make some moves and become competitive then. Um and, and to your point, just sit there and put their hand out for the revenue sharing cash yeah. um, every year. So let, let's move on from that. We'll, we'll, we'll finish up tonight by talking about the Summer League. I'm not sure how much you caught of the Summer League, but the Summer League was the Las Vegas version of the Summer League anyway was won by the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I was impressed with the Lakers from this point of view. I mean, it's always you never want to get too high about the Summer League performances. I mean, the last two Summer League MVPs were Kyle Anderson and uh, Tyus Jones. So I'm not, I don't think you can get too, too carried away with what happens in Summer League. But I, I can't remember a team ever having as much, pressure might not be the right word, but focus on them as what the Lakers did. And then they come out in the first game. Lonzo Ball has an absolute shot. I think he shot two or 15 in the first game. He's dead sitting there in the commentary box. And you're just thinking, oh, this is going to be an absolute circus. Uh, and that, that was sort of what I was hinting at in our last pod. And then, full credit to Lonzo Ball, he just blocked it all out, or maybe he relished it, I'm not sure, but he came in and played some really nice basketball from there on. And Kuzma, the guy that they got, uh, I think they're the number 30 pick in, in the draft, he can shoot the lights out uh, from what we saw in the summer league. Uh, so he looks like he's going to be a player of the future potentially as well. Uh, so they unearthed a couple of, well, obviously we already knew Lonzo had the potential, but uh, they showed some some nice signs, I guess, for their team, in addition to a, a nice off-season for the Lakers. So all of a sudden, and, and of course the stories of LeBron going there, which gained steam when uh, he, him and his entourage uh, turned up to watch one Lots game and one game <laughs> only of the Summer League, which happened to be the Los Angeles Lakers and and LeBron made sure everyone was hearing all the comments that he was making about Lonzo Ball uh, throughout the game, really <laughs> critiquing his game. So we know that, that, that LeBron doesn't do anything uh, just off the cuff. So, um, you know, you can really be between the lines, whatever you want there. So things are all really looking up uh, for the Los Angeles Lakers. But, but did you sort of have the same takeaway? Did you, did you see any of it, or were you more sort of just following well, from afar? 
I was falling from afar, and ironically, I didn't see a minute. I'll be honest, I didn't see a minute of Lakers, Lakers play. But obviously, I heard about Lonzo, and um, yeah, he just he looks the part. Um, so I don't I don't follow the summer league too closely. It's mostly because the the Bucks. I could probably look up their history, but the Bucks are just, they're just terrible every single year. They 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 find a way to lose by forty four, three or four times, and then they just they bugger off. And so I don't really learn anything. You know, I think it's one of those things where if you've got a draft pick and there's an aspect of your young guy that you hope to see in the summer league that to give you that, you know, flash, you can pretty much find it. Likewise, if you see a young guy and you kind of go, oh, he's got a weakness and you're probably you're probably going to find it. Right. So for me, summer league is just a confirmation bias league. Yeah, we're just going to find what, kind of what we want to see for the most part. Um, so that being said, what I did watch was the. Um, the two guys who I think even probably got more, um, more or as much as Lonzo, which is Dennis Smith and Donovan Mitchell, mm. sort of that sort of stole. Seems like it sort of stole the whole conversation. Maybe not from LA because Magic is out there and they won the little little title and a little baby trophy. But holy cow, Donovan Mitchell, that guy looks that guy looks amazing and good on Utah for. Uh, you know, having that, I guess it's the other implication of the previous conversation we're just having of what, where the league is going. It's going to be, this is going to be shitty for fans. This is going to be really shitty, right? You know, it's really shitty if you liked Chris Paul or you like, you know, you like the, the Clippers or you liked Utah and you lose your stars. It's going to be crap with players moving like this. So it was nice for Utah to perhaps have a, you know, have a absolute bright star, um, like Donovan Mitchell would cheer for. That for me was probably the coolest story, which is how good he looked. And then, holy cow, the the highlight, the best highlight from the summer league for me was the, and he actually missed it, but when Dennis Smith, there's a there's a clip of Dennis Smith going up for the dunk, and I think the, the Twitter feed's called it. Someone smarter than me said, oh, this is the, the greatest dunk that never went in. <laughs> and this guy looked like he leaped over everyone. And his elbow was above the rim, and he missed the dunk, but it was a just uh, a freak, freak athlete. Where um, again, I think the Ringer guys were saying everything's Kevin O'Connor. Wouldn't be surprised that because there's a chance, there's a good, there's a chance that Dennis Smith is the best player from this draft when we look back in five years' time. Well, so. Knicks fans were what were hate watching Dennis Smith. I think when oh, they I bet. think about uh, the fact that uh, they picked Cranky Smokes. Uh, one pick before him because he Dennis Smith didn't fit in the triangle, and then a week later they sacked Bill Jackson. So, well, what were the Bulls fans doing then? They passed on Smith and Donovan Mitchell for 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 L. Markkinen. <laughs> well, apparently, and, and the Nuggets too on Donovan Mitchell. I mean, apparently, Kyle Lydon didn't look very good either. That's the guy that they selected um, ahead of him. If you want a really good breakdown and. We probably shouldn't be in the habit of giving out shout-outs to other pods here, but uh, Nate Duncan and his Dunked On basketball podcast did a fantastic breakdown of the Summer League prospects. Uh, team. If you have a spare four hours, um, I think it's two hours per... They haven't done the second part yet, but the first part was two hours long, and they break down every prospect um, themselves, and it, it, it's a really good listen, actually, if you, if you did want to hear about how your team's prospects went. Um, and they, they were equally high on Dan Smith 
Um, they said Dennis Smith's numbers should have been even better. There were a lot of miss, a lot of guys missing shots that they shouldn't have missed that he was setting and putting on a plate for. Um, so they were really impressed with him. Haven't heard what their take is on on the Lakers yet, but uh, I saw the highlights. I saw just sort of confirmed, I guess, what we what we expected of this Lakers team that they're going to play fast. They're going to be very entertaining to watch. Um, and, you know, with the, with the likes of Larry Nance Jr. And, and Clarkson and and Lonzo, yeah, this is going to be a really high octane offensive team. I don't think they're going to play too much defense night to night, but uh, that yeah. they could be an interesting lead pass team um, as the season goes on. And it's always, I mean, the other thing about summer league is, I, I, from a point of view, I always am interested in summer league because there's all, there's been numerous players, Jamichael Green, Jonathan Simmons, you know, Bryn Forbes played well this year. Um, and we saw Brandon Paul from the Cavs and Summer League. So there's a number of players that come out of Summer League each year that the Spurs seem to be able to recycle into decent players. So I think the smart teams are still using it as a way of not only developing players but also scouting for certain types of players and I guess certain types of skills that they may be looking for. Um, so that's always... And, and I think another interesting thing, the final point I'd make there is all the two-way contracts that now we're seeing teams sign players too, uh, and that's where the G League is becoming quite interesting um, because uh, a lot of a lot of players now are signing those sort of two-way contracts. So, you know, rather than guys just being unsigned and sort of maybe going overseas or just hoping to be picked up, they are actually getting um, some contracts and, and, and a clear pathway into the NBA. So hopefully we will see more and more um, or, or more teams use that competitive advantage of their development systems uh, going forward. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I think the, the thing for me for, for Summer League is the, I think I'd like to go over there one summer. That looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, we're spoken about it. We'd love to do a live pod uh, from Vegas um, for Daz and Daz. So uh, we might have to set up a GoFundMe campaign, Daz. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That'd be worth. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, we might leave it there for tonight. That was a uh, we sort of covered everything we want to cover. No doubt there'll be some more big breaking news uh, in the next week or so um, as the off season sort of does wind down. Now, and not too many more uh, free agents left out there. Mostly the sort of restricted guys um, that we spoke about. Mason Plumlee's another Just- the final restricted guy. That, that still has a sign, but most of the, the sort of dominoes obviously fall by this stage. Does it count as breaking news if B.J. Armstrong asks his cousin's <laughs> mechanics babysitter to hint that the daughter of the owner's dog washer was hinting there might be a meeting before a meeting <laughs> about a meeting for Derrick Rose? Is that is that breaking news? Uh, it could be. Well, the Derrick Rose watch, and I mean, I think. The Bucks have been mentioned in a few different conversations, but I don't, I don't think there's been too much firm interest from the Bucks as of sort of the more read into it. I don't think anyone can even verify they ever had a fucking meeting with him. That's what I mean. But this <laughs> BJ Armstrong is working it, man. This this pimp working every corner, man. He working, he working. Oh, BJ. So yeah, no. D. Dot Rose does not have a contract offer. When D. Dot Rose realizes the yeah. Uh, you know, three-year, $75 million Dwight Howard deal. Uh, it probably isn't in his future. It's more like the uh, discount R. Rondo contract in his future. And no, I think he, go- 
he's just looking to sign a one year and put up numbers. But that's what he did last year, and then still no one wants him. So yeah, here's the thing: we want put up numbers. Yeah, but why don't you put up numbers and not be a dick? Like that, that that is an option. Yeah. Hey, try not being an asshole. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I I had my uncle come to start. He's a Knicks fan, and he doesn't. He watches like one game of basketball a year when he comes and stays with me. And I put a Knicks game on for him, and it was into the fourth quarter against the Hawks. It was a really close game, and I come in, and he was screaming at the TV. And I thought, what, what's going on here? And he'd never seen Derek Rose play before in his life, and he, he hated Derek Rose. He was just yeah. tearing strips off him. So uh, just shot it every time down the court. Didn't look for a teammate, didn't do anything. And I think Pazingas was having the big game that night, couldn't get the ball down the stretch, and ended up losing by a point in overtime. So uh, there's the Derek Rose experience uh, in, a, in a nutshell. I wouldn't even give him the minimum, to be honest. You don't want him on your team if you have any hope. Unless you want to tank, then bring him on. Yeah. Well, so, and I feel the same about Rondo. I do, I do not want Rondo on, on the team at all because the yeah, guy no. has just not had any success. He's not made one team better since he left the Celtics. Geez, I think it might be um, in our girl interrupted who's got the, the job that makes you want to um, try to commit suicide. That was Jeff Hornacek before. Field good house. And Alvin Gentry might take over the, the head coaching <laughs> job I would least want to have in the NBA. He's got to be him and Frank Vogel. Vogel's kind of crept up that list as well now. Uh, well, I still think Gentry would take that role over when he was coaching the Clippers under Don Sterling. So he, oh, he's geez. been in worse situations, trust me. Uh, I guess, I guess. But uh, yeah. anyway. All right, Daz, we'll see what the next week brings, mate. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again next week. Maybe D. Rose and M. Beasley can, can run together somewhere <laughs> and uh, fight over the ball. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, thanks, mate. Talk to you soon. Cheers, bye. bye.